You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Well, hello, and welcome to Unquirking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm excited to introduce you to Sasha Rothschild. Sasha is an Emmy-nominated screenwriter who has written and produced lauded shows such as Glow, Love Glow, Love Me Some Glow, The Bold Type, The Babysitter's Club, and The Carrie Diaries. In 2015, she was named one of Variety's 10 TV writers to watch. Rothschild has written for LA Weekly, The Los Angeles Times, Elle, and The Miami Herald, my old hometown newspaper, and adapted her article, How to Get Divorced by 30, into a memoir and a screenplay for Universal Studios. Blood Sugar is her fiction debut, and it is a dark and utterly delicious noir thriller. And here today to talk about Blood Sugar, the book, not the condition, and so much more is Sasha Rothschild. Welcome to Unquirking a Story, Sasha. Thank you so much. And I did not realize that you were from Miami. Well, I, you know, I'd like to say Miami. I'm actually from a town called Plantation. Um, okay. But the Miami Herald was, yes. you know, the paper yes. that we would the, that we would read. So that's that. I Are know, you, I know are Plantation. You, do you really? How do you know Plantation? Not too many I, people do. So, I grew up on Miami Beach, actually on South Beach, which I think I'm the only person who's from South Beach. But so I know all the surrounding areas, and especially when Hurricane Andrew hit, I feel like I was became very aware of all the surrounding areas. <laughs> very good, very good. Well, I'd love to talk more about Florida and our history down there. However, I have to ask you as we begin: Where does your story as a writer begin? Well, my story as a writer does begin in Miami. My father was a journalist and he often wrote for the Miami Herald, actually. And I grew up seeing him in his office off the garage, typing away. And then all of a sudden there'd be a book or an article and his words would be out in the world. And I thought that was so glamorous, even though watching someone type in their sweatpants is not glamorous. But I just... I thought the idea that your words could be read by strangers was incredible. And I started writing in a diary, you know, when I was six, seven years old, and I would come home from school and tell stories and I would exaggerate and I would try and make them more fun. And my parents encouraged me to write it down. That was one of their sort of their choruses was write it down. It might've been a way to get me out of the room, but I always wrote it down my whole life. And I knew I wanted to be a writer and I loved television so much. I watched so much TV growing up and I loved staying with characters week after week. And so I had a plan. I would study playwriting in college, which I did in Boston College, and then move to LA right after I graduated, which I did a one-way ticket and just tried to write for television. And there yep. were many ups and downs. What was what was that like, sort of kind of getting into L.A. after that one-way ticket? What were those early days in L.A. like? Well, the first order of business was getting a waitressing job, which I think is like the first thing every writer or actor needs to do when they move to L.A. And then at, th at that time, this was, you know, 20 years ago, 
writers were expected to write spec script episodes of shows that were already on the air to show, look, I can emulate whatever voice you want. So I wrote my spec scripts. I got an agent very quickly and I thought, okay, I've almost made it. And then several years went by of almost getting the job, almost getting hired, getting the job, but then the show didn't end up going to series. So it was really a decade of almosts. And then they all came together and I started writing articles because I was frustrated that I wasn't getting my voice across in television. And one of those articles, How to Get Divorced by 30, ended up getting me a book deal and a movie deal. And all that work I had put into the almost, everything came together in one week. And my whole career happened in one week after 10 years of trying. Now, had you been married at the time? I'm curious as to how yes. that topic. <laughs> so I had a, a, a lovely drama-free starter marriage. I was a writer, waitress, and he was a bartender, actor. And we got married at 27 and divorced at 29 and a half, no children. And all of my friends did the same thing. We all seemed to get married late 20s, divorced by 30. And I thought, this is a trend. This is a thing. So I wrote a fun article about it, sort of giving step-by-step step how to get divorced by 30 and get your first one over with. What were some of the spec scripts you were writing back then? What shows were you, uh, were, you, know, were you writing specs for? So this will really age me, but I wrote a Drew Carey show spec. I wrote a Just Shoot Me. That was a David Spade show. I don't know if oh, anyone I love remembers. David yeah. Spade. Oh yeah, um, that was a great show. George, and, George Siegel was George yes, Siegel? George, Wendy yes. Malick? Yes, exactly. Yep. And I wrote a South Park at the time, which was a little bit, it was sort of an edgier choice back then. So those were my, those were my specs as a comedy writer. I thought I'm definitely a comedy writer. And 20 years ago, it was very much half hour comedy or hour long drama. And that was it. There was not sort of what we now know as dramedy. And after I did not immediately get staffed as a comedy writer, I started to think that I like story a little bit more than the, the typical sitcom. And I like character and I like emotion and maybe I'm a drama writer. So then I wrote an NYPD blue spec. And that was interesting because I loved getting into the mystery of that episode and the plot and the storyline with the police. But it was so serious and there was no comedy. And I thought, this isn't right for me either. And then a couple of years later, the show Monk came out. And it oh, was God. sort of one of the first dramedies where it was an hour long, but it was humorous. And there was, you know, it's procedural plot. And I thought, this is, this is my world. And then I wrote a Monk spec. And that was actually the spec that started to get me the most meetings. And from then on, dramedy became actually, you know, something we all enjoy. There's a lot of hour longs that have comedy and a lot of half hours that have drama. So that's really where I live. Yeah. I mean, that Monk was such a good show. I mean, between Tony Shalhoub and, oh gosh, why am I blanking on his name? From Silence of the Lambs. And I'm sure he doesn't want to be known for that, but. Yes. The, the uh, police chief. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It's not going um, to come to me. I know. Jeez Louise. But that was such a, I mean, to me, it was like a groundbreaking show because it was like, he was so quirky. Like Monk was so quirky and so funny. Such a great show. So how does the process work? I mean, for the for my listeners, I mean, they're so used to hearing from, you know, authors. I'm curious, like when you're trying to break into TV, so that you have to write a spec script, um, that gets you the agent, the agent gets you meetings. Like what, what are the mechanics of it? Yeah. So now things are slightly different where, 
younger writers are asked not to write a spec script based on another show on the air, but asked to write a pilot script to show your own voice, your own creativity. So things have shifted a little bit more in that way. And I think that's wonderful. The, everyone you know, can get at it a little bit differently, but the process is basically you have a script, a pilot script, something in your voice, and it's strong enough that an agent thinks that they can make money off of you and they sign you and then they get you meetings with showrunners and you hope to be a staff writer is the first level position in a writer's room. And then once you're a staff writer, you slowly move your way up season by season and you get more and more responsibilities. And then you start having producer in your title, which means not only are you writing scripts, but you're choosing cast and wardrobe and location scouting and all those things. And then ultimately you become a showrunner And for me, that was the dream. And I'm now running a new series for Netflix. So that's the process generally. Yeah. What changes as you go from sort of being sort of lower person on the totem pole in the writer's room to becoming a showrunner? I mean, what I mean, do you miss any of of the struggle in the in the sort of the earlier days? And now that you're dealing with like more of the the business side of things or I I don't miss the struggle. Um, The struggle is still the struggle because as a showrunner, story comes first. Always you run the writer's room, you create character, you create storylines for the series, for the season. You are in charge of making sure all the scripts seamless in the same tone and voice. And so that creative writing is always the first place to start with TV, especially. Then I think some writers love the other stuff, some don't. I love the big picture of now we cast it, now we find locations, now we hire directors, now we, you know, put out fires and make sure, you know, if a camera breaks, we've got something, another plan B. And to me, it's creating a world that is the TV show. And I, I love all the parts of that. And then yeah. post is a big part. Once you've got it all filmed, then you work with editors, you work with music you put it together. Yeah. Yeah. So it, to me, you know, that sounds very similar to what authors tell me a lot, which is they love to write. They love to get immersed in their stories because they are creating a world. You know, it's a world where they control all the rules. They make all the rules, mm-hmm. you know, they can kind of live a little fantasy life. So I'm curious about your, this new hat you're wearing, which is your fiction debut with Blood Sugar. Kind of tell me the story behind that story and, and how it came to you and, and why you, you wanted to write it. Well, um, after my divorce by 30, I met my forever husband. I like to call him my forever husband. We've been married for 10 years, so it's, you know, it's going well. He is a type one diabetic and that means that he can have a low blood sugar, which is very dangerous. And if he has one at night when he's sleeping, he has a continuous glucose monitor that beeps very loudly to wake him up so he can eat sugar. And sometimes this beep wakes me up first and then I wake him up. So one night a few years ago, he had a low blood sugar. It beeped. I woke him up. He ate sugar. He went right back to sleep. He's safe and healthy and fine. But because I am a writer, I, my mind just started creating scenarios. And I was lying in bed thinking, well, what if he died? What if he actually died? Well, that would be horrible. But then I got past that and immediately started thinking of plot. And then I thought, what if the police thought I killed him? Because the spouse is always the first suspect. And then I thought, wait, what if I had killed other people and gotten away with it? 
But now the police think I killed my husband and I didn't. And at three in the morning, I was like, this is a novel. And I got grabbed my cell phone and I jotted down notes. And so I could fall back asleep and know that I would wake up and see, remember what I had thought of. And I just started writing it. And in between TV shows and time, you know, nights, weekends, whenever I had time, I would just, just write and write. And I clearly knew who this woman was, this main character, Ruby Simon. And um, I just worked on it. I think the two most powerful words in a writer's vocabulary are what if. I mean, to me, like that's, you know, and to have the sort of the innate curiosity to just, you know, follow, follow that through, follow that train of thinking through at three o'clock in the morning, you know, and then starting to outline it. I, I just so love and appreciate that story. Thank you. Yeah, I always go to the what if and try and turn things on their head and take kernels of my life that I can, you know, keep grounded and then swirl them into to plot and story and and, um, stakes and cliffhangers. And so that is hopefully what I did with Blood Sugar. So what do you notice about the differences between, you know, writing a novel and writing, you know, writing a, a script? You know, obviously there's, you know, you don't see it come to life on, on a smaller or big screen, but what in, in terms of the writing process, what's different for you? Well, one big difference is it's very solitary to write a novel. You're just sitting alone and it's you and your editor later who's helpful. And my editor was wonderful, but it really is just you and the words, whereas television writing is very collaborative. Another big difference, and I think it served me for this novel was coming at it from the perspective of a TV writer where every word you put in a script costs money. If you say a character walks down a windy street, you then have people having to create the wind. You need hair to fix the hair every time the hair gets windy. You need the jacket to flap. So you have to have a wardrobe, make sure that there's a jacket there for the wind. You have to have a tree in the background being rustled. So no detail can just be thrown away when it comes to the screen. And with a novel, obviously, you can write any words and they don't cost any money. But what I tried to do was think of it in terms of the TV writing of everything I'm writing here has meaning. Nothing is thrown away. Everything comes back in a way that's important to plot or story or character. So I tried not to sort of go on tangents that were not relevant in the novel. Which, right. is, which is very like TV writing. So I com- sort of combined my skills and hopefully it was successful. And that's sort of, yeah, that was the big, the big difference, but also the way I, I made it similar. Yeah. But, you know, you, you know, it's interesting when, when you write a novel, you know, it, it is solitary and you might not get anyone else's eyes on it, you know, until you're ready. And that might not be till your second, third, fourth draft. And then it's going to an editor maybe some beta readers or some friends, but you can't, can't always trust what friends have to say. Whereas, you know, in a writer's room, it, is more, it sounds like it's more collaborative. You know, you're pitching ideas, you know, you're getting feedback. It's almost a little bit more real time. Yes. You know, if a joke lands immediately in a writer's room or if a pitch is bad, whereas, yeah, you can sit, you can sit for months and work on something and then find out it's not working. But I think for me, I am someone who writes very quickly to get a draft out so it exists, so it doesn't feel so overwhelming. And then I rewrite and rewrite and rewrite like 30 drafts where some writers spend 
a long time on a first draft and a second draft, and that's really solid. Yeah. Um, so I am a writer that for me, the rewriting is most of the job. Well, I do have some uh, fun questions for you. Not that the other ones haven't been fun. However, I do like to, you know, I'd like to sort of get to know my guests as, as people. And the first thing I want to ask you, because you mentioned loving TV when you were younger, what were some of your favorite shows when you were younger? What, what were you watching as a kid? I loved Heart to Heart. <laughs> Robert Wagner. <laughs> very, uh, for the young people, it was this billionaire couple that would solve mysteries every week. And it just was such wish fulfillment. I loved Fantasy Island which I just, again, I remember Fantasy Island, there was always two stories. There was a comedic one and a scary one. And I loved how, without understanding it, they were doing cross genre back then, which was pretty, pretty brave. One of my favorite shows to this day is The Golden Girls. It is so brilliantly written and acted and so timeless. And that show really, I mean, you know, I was a 10-year-old watching these old ladies and it was so captivating. And I thought this is what TV can do. It can bring everyone in, even though, you know, they probably didn't think 10 year olds was the demographic for that show. No, but I remember watching that like with my mom and like my, my grandmother and just watching them laugh at, at these old women. And I always got a kick out of the fact that Estelle Getty was, could have been younger than B. Yes. Arthur, who was playing yes. her daughter. It's interesting, too, that, you know, that show comes up a lot when I ask this question. Fantasy Island also comes up quite a bit. And I'm curious, have you seen the remake of Fantasy Island, the reimagined series? I have not seen it. Yes, Um, it's not bad. They twist, they they take a little twist on the tattoo character. Mr. Rourke is now played by his, I guess, niece is supposed, grandniece or something in the show. That's pretty good. It's not bad. And the the new Magnum P.I. wasn't bad either. You really know your TV. You don't understand. I don't have many friends. You know, I've been married for 23 yeah. years. TV is my life. I have triplets. They're 20. You know, I don't get out much. Yeah. Okay, good. I get it. <laughs> Moving from TV, how about uh, artists on your favorite uh, playlists? Who do you listen to? Who do you like to listen to? I like, I'm a little bit stuck in, uh, I'm a little bit stuck in the 2000s. I love the national. I love sort of emo, shoegazy, depressing music. I love Depeche Mode, their new stuff. I like I like Taylor Swift, especially the album she did with The National. Um, what else do I... I like some pop music. Like, I like Lady Gaga. Brandi Carlisle is amazing. Oh, she's great. What else? I feel like this... I'm embarrassed to say the music. I'm stuck a little bit in my music. Like, I still listen to the Smiths, and I don't even think you're allowed to anymore because politics. But um, I, uh, The Cure, yeah, I'm still like 16-year-old with music. Oh, yeah, no, I, we had a, a mixtape in high school that went around our friend group called The Tape of Pain. And it was, you know, The Smiths, The Cure, yeah, um, maybe The Smithereens on there. Depeche Mode was certainly on there. Erasure, Erasure, yes. good old Andy Bell. Yeah, that's great. I took my daughter to see Taylor Swift. And the day of the show, I told her, I said, we have nosebleed seats at MetLife Stadium in New York. And we did. But that morning I went on and I found that they had, there were floor seats that had opened up. So I switched the tickets, got the floor seats, surprised her. She was like in tears when we were sitting on the floor. But there's a point in the show where she goes from the A stage to the B stage and the B stage to the C stage. But to go from the B to the C stage, she had to walk right behind us. 
And we turned around and she shook our hands. And oh. it was like I was the father of the year yes. for like maybe 90 more minutes. And then the magic wore off. But great show that Taylor Swift. She's a toe tapper. All right. How about this? How do you feel when you're staring at a blank piece of paper or computer screen and you're about to write something? What emotions do you experience? I, I first feel fear. And then my mantra is the words cannot hurt me. The words cannot hurt me because it seems very scary to stare at a blank page. And then I start typing the words and I'm like, they're my friends. The words are my friends. And then like within 30 seconds, I'm just really in it. And then the fear is gone and I'm focused and I'm, I'm friends with the words. And how about this one? What lesson about writing do you feel like you had to learn the hard way? That's a very good question. I feel like all the lessons are hard. I think that with writing, especially with television writing, but also with, with all writing, there are notes. There are people that will give you notes and there are people that will give you their thoughts, whether it's your editor or whoever, and they are often correct. There is something missing. There could be something added. There could be something better with structure. And I think that if you are a good writer and a confident writer, you can take in those notes and make it better. And that pushing back on all notes is very short-sighted. I also think, however, that as a writer, if you know what story you want to tell and someone else is trying to tell a different story, that's when you say to that person, we're trying to tell different stories. So we should part ways, whether it's your editor or a producer, because the story you're telling is the story. How to make that story better, I think, should be listened to by others. Yeah. And sort of close into that, you know, if you had an aspiring writer in front of you, What's some advice you would give to that aspiring writer? Sit down and write because everyone has an idea in the middle of the night. Everyone thinks they have an idea for a movie or a book. Everyone on an airplane you sit next to says, oh, I have a story. And that's wonderful. But unless you write it down, you're not a writer. And you have to sit and write it down. And writing is like cardio where five minutes might make you winded. And then you do 10 minutes and 20 minutes. And if you do it every day, then you can sit for eight hours and work. But if you don't write it down, you're not a writer. And speaking about writing, if you could write a letter to your younger self, you know, maybe that younger Sasha was watching Heart to Heart or Fantasy Island, what advice would you give your younger self? I would say do everything the same, but be less freaked out about it. <laughs> you consider yourself, advice. you were freaked out when you were younger? I was very sort of like, you know, why isn't it happening yet? Or am I good enough? Or is this good enough? Or sort of like, I, there's no control over when something will sell or not, or who will like something. And I think for, I'm very sort of organized in type A, and it's, it's a strange thing to be a writer and be those things because there's no rhyme or reason sometimes to when things are published or why. And I would love to tell my like 25 year old self, just calm down. Just, it's going to be fine. You need to calm down. Well, the book is Blood Sugar. I have it right here in my hand. I love the cover. It definitely pops. Where can people go to buy uh, Blood Sugar, Sasha? Anywhere books are sold, your local bookstore support. If you want to just order on Amazon, you can do that too. It's everywhere, hopefully. So yeah, it should be easy to find. And the book takes place in Miami. It, would like, it, will, it will add to the Florida, the Florida people. 
There you go. And if people want to learn more about you, do you have a website, social media you want to see yes. out there? My website is SashaRothschild.com. I am often on Instagram, which is Sasha G Rothschild. And I am on Twitter, Sasha Rothschild. And I am very active and love to hear from fans or haters. You know, let me know. There you go. Well, Sasha, thank you so much for spending a half hour with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you.